0: Oh, no. okay. oh, so-called preventive like is don't forget okay. and
1: of okay, try again. I did it! Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Welcome to another week of our podcast med family i am eric acker the host with karen hey guys so we are i guess really we're, we're going to try to make this short and quick because it's about 11 o'clock on tuesday night and we, we have not come to bed before <laughs> midnight at
0: all the last and, three or four days <laughs>
1: and normally at this hour we would just say let's just do it tomorrow but my rotation kicks back in tomorrow and I won't be getting home till about 10, ten, ten thirty. So I might as well, just, you know, it's gonna be <laughs> done at eleven o'clock. Might as well be done today and not tomorrow. So we're gonna try to make this a little bit shorter and, and sweeter, uh, as much as we can. But and so to that point, we started our emergency medicine rotation last week, and it's it's been interesting. Uh, we, we did a lot of day shifts, so I. I from what I understand, it's probably the nicer shifts to do—the nine a.m. to seven p.m. Not too bad. Pretty reasonable hours, typical typical hours as far as that's concerned. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't. This is my, my first really my big uh, entrance into the emergency medicine realm. I I've, I did I have done some time as a a volunteer in the emergency department but I was really just moving paperwork around I wasn't doing anything actively when I was and I was like back in high school so a long time ago uh, <laughs> and otherwise I haven't really worked in the emergency medicine department and most of my rotations have been outpatient medicine or inpatient medicine and they're kind of different animals compared to the emergency medicine department so it, this is definitely quite a bit of an adjustment, um, and I don't want to. I'm going to try to surmise what that means as far as like difference, and I don't mean to offend anybody. <laughs> I don't like, but this is just like kind of my initial gut view of it, and it's probably going to evolve over the weeks. But um, most of the rotations I've been on, with uh, you take away like any of this has specialties like surgery. Uh, where you're just focused on the surgery at hand or the pathology you're dealing with um, and just go with like okay outpatient internal medicine you know, you see a patient in clinic you work them up you ask your question you do a physical exam you get a good history you look over their history and you look at the medications and you try to figure out what's going on with this patient what needs to be managed and how are we going to do that and when you then compare that to the emergency medicine rotation, you get a patient who's checking in with a chief complaint. You are again getting a good history. So there's some overlap here. You get a good history. You get a good idea of how this thing has come to pass. Um, But it seems like in emergency medicine, the emphasis is look for all the things that could kill this patient. Rule those out. And then either determine whether the patient needs to stay in the hospital or if they can just go home and follow up with the primary care doctor at a later time. It's really not about as far and again, I don't mean to offend, but it doesn't really scream we are trying to find the underlying cause or diagnosis of what brought you into the hospital. We are really just trying to make sure you're not going to die. And I mean, it's the emergency department. It's there for people who are critically ill and so we're there to find out what's possibly killing you, and if we can figure it out, how to treat it, <laughs> and get you stabilized until until like internal medicine can take over. We can admit you to the hospital wards and whatnot. So emergency medicine's a slightly different emphasis, and it's more geared towards the the acutely ill and the uh, pathologies that are going to kill you sooner than later. And once you roll those out then it's just a determination of whether you need to be managed in the hospital or you can just go home safely. Uh, And again, I don't mean to offend anyone. (laughs) I'm not trying to say emergency medicine isn't real medicine. It's just a very different type of medicine. Uh, One that I don't, um, you know, honestly, I I didn't sign up to do internal, uh, sorry, emergency medicine. So (laughs) I uh, I can say that I I have not particularly loved (laughs) this emphasis on medicine. I, I tend to feel like I myself am the kind of person that wants to figure out what's wrong and dig in deeper, and sometimes it's like, well, that's not what we're here for. We're in emergency medicine department. We are here to take care of the problem and send them home, and then their primary care doctor can do all that fun stuff. We're not necessarily – the acute detectives, we're not the long-term detectives that really dig in and try to find out what's going to work. Um, So to that end, emergency medicine has been a bit of a struggle for me. Um, I don't know. Karen keeps staring at me here, so I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, just, I mean, in the first week, you had a few DOAs dead on arrival. At least
1: a couple patients um, come in that were dead before they had arrived to us.
0: Um, And then uh, Eric's had patients die on him before
1: yeah and we um, talked we talked about it, we we my ta- my electrophysiology rotation being the most recent
0: yeah um
1: up until this rotation up until this rotation <laughs> yes
0: this rotation there seems to have been a lot and it's only a weekend um so kind of to that point i was thinking about it uh the other night because eric came home and had a really really rough day um they lost a kid and that's always uh, rough but I think as a parent it hits home maybe a little bit
1: uh, harder yeah. somebody I, a kid that's not much older than your current youngest kid yeah um,
0: um so that kind of got me
1: thinking like typically
0: how Eric processes things is is he likes to talk through it and whether or not I understand the medical jargon or not it, like it helps him process what he's um, like if there was anything else that they could have done or um, just he, he likes to verbally process. And I was encouraging him to do so the other night, and then I started thinking about it. I was like, but is that how he grieves? That's how he processes, but is that actually how he grieves? Because people grieve in different ways. And, and realistically speaking, as much as this is like you want to find the problem, you want to solve, solve it and all that, You do get attached, especially when you've been working on a patient for several hours. Um, And so it just kind of got me thinking about it a little bit. We haven't actually had the conversation yet. I just brought it up tonight. Um, But it might be a worthwhile, like if you are married and going through medical school, it might be a worthwhile conversation to have with your spouse. Like what is the best way to support me in these instances or when I've had a hard day or whatnot Uh, (laughs) and it it
1: might be variable depending on the situation. I think it's tricky in this situation I think you're generally right like whenever I have an issue on my rotation either like an interpersonal conflict or another medical student attending patient whatever I do like to talk it out with Karen and try to talk out the situation and just work kind of work through it you know out loud and that tends to be my mode of operation, um, just dealing with problems in general, is I don't generally just want them to stew inside. But then when it comes to things that are a little bit more emotional, like you get, you have an emotional response, like anger, of course, or frustration are all emotional responses. But one that is, um, I mean, just to be more blunt, like we, we lost a patient that was less than a year old uh, and we worked on them for about three hours before um, we ended up having to call it. Uh, and, and in that three hours, it wasn't like the patient was dying the entire time. We had stabilized them at one point, and then it decompensated from there. Um, and but again, like you have a patient that is not much older than your children and one of your young one of your children and so you uh, young kids and infants like you, you they, they just shouldn't die you know like so when a 75 80 year old patient comes in that's been found down and probably had probable heart attack comes in you know like you can kind of work through it because hey like that's that is life you know people die people are going to have heart attacks and die and that's it's somebody's loved one, and it's it's going to be hard for them, but as far as the natural order of life, they're 80 years old, they've lived a pretty good long life. Um, sure, they probably wouldn't have, if they would have known that that was the day that they were going to die, they may have, might have done something differently the days or weeks leading up to it. But like, realistically, they are of the age that is not abnormal to expect someone like that to die someone less than a year old you would not expect to die so you get a little i think i feel like you get a little bit more emotionally caught up into it my whole point i guess being um where where a lot of times i'm happy to vocalize and work out out loud um i don't particularly love having those emotions. Uh, Karen's calling it grief, which is probably more apt. And I, I don't know. Even I'm like, I don't know really I want to call it that because I'm a big guy. You know, I'm, a, I'm a guy. I don't really want to admit that I have those kind of feelings. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm really trying to say. Like when, because like when I have to talk that that out loud, it I have to. I almost have to relive it, relive the emotion. And I don't like. That I there's a part of me that's like push that down. You don't really want to have the that level of emotion, um, but then it's hard to. Then you like I want to process it, but then I don't want to like I don't want to have that emotion. So you kind of go through these waves of like thinking about it, talking about it, having that emotion, going like I don't like having that emotion. So no, don't talk about it. I don't know. It's kind of a conflict, confusing. I wouldn't, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you what I would actually want. Yeah.
0: And it, it, it'll probably be a conversation that we have maybe three months from now before Eric actually starts his residency program when maybe it's a little bit more distant and he's had more time to reflect on what would be, because I don't, I mean.
1: What's a healthy way of dealing with this?
0: Yeah. What's a, What's a healthy way of dealing with it? What's.
1: Because, I mean, realistically, we're all going to have patients that are going to die. Um, unless you're going into a, any particular field that, like, you just don't deal with critically ill patients. Um, or well, patients at all. I mean, you could be
0: pathology, and you don't even, I mean, you'll probably uh,
1: yeah have
0: yeah. patients around you, but you may or, or may not know.
1: Yeah, you just, or you just don't work on, you don't work with critically ill people, so you don't actually work with someone who that you know someone who dies under your care immediately under your care anywho yeah it's probably a good idea to figure out how to process that and everyone's going to have a different mechanism of processing it and hopefully that's healthy Uh, ideally you'd want to find a healthy way to process those emotions and because, like, like I said, we're all going to kind of deal with that. And everyone has a, a different coping mechanism. I feel like um, ED is kind of notorious for coping by um, joking. Like I mean, that's, that's a common medicine thing in general is that we like to joke our way past some of these emotions. And that's how we kind of deal with it. Uh, because, again, we have to go back to work. We have to continue to treat patients after we go through these these experiences that are... Difficult, um, but the realities in medicine we work with critically ill patients, and we we are not going to be able to save all of them, uh, and so we have to find. Sometimes you have to find the fast coping mechanism so you can continue and finish your shift, and then we have to find the probably more healthy coping mechanism so that you can you don't become a jaded, ill-adjusted provider, um, that has built up enough walls that you don't get impacted by any of your patients uh, I know it's a, a I don't know if it's even, it's possible even because I uh, I'll, I'll admit like a lot of the older doctors I've worked with especially maybe in the ED and other places like they, they certainly don't act like it ever affects them <laughs> like um, like I don't know like when when someone that young dies they're just kind of like oh, well that happens. I'm sorry that didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. And like they continue on with their shift. They have obviously built up some kind of uh, maybe a, a callus to those sort of things or a thicker skin to, I guess that's a callus uh, <laughs> to deal with, to deal with it. And maybe they'll process it out, you know, on a later date when they have more, more bandwidth to deal with it. It's like, okay, I don't have time to deal with this right now mentally. So i just push it off to the side. Um, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. But, I, I guess I kind of... It kind of makes you wonder, like... Because you have these people that have gone through all these traumatic things and then don't don't cry or show any emotion until somebody finally is like, okay, are you okay? And then they just totally lose it. So I kind of wonder if it's kind of along those same lines where you just... You, I don't
1: know. I think... I have... I don't know. I, I have it. I imagine other people have it where you can... You can kind of push it into the back of your mind where, where you can intellectualize it. I think that's a term that we use in like step one, step two. Um, you can intellectualize the problem where it's an abstract problem. It's something not necessarily happening to you that has happened to you. You can kind of disassociate from it. Um, but then when you're kind of forced to talk about it, it's hard to talk about it as something that has happened to you and then try at the same time to intellectualize it <laughs> it's it's not not very easy to do and so some people have are better at it than others um and it's kind of the same thing in medicine we kind of taught like oh well how is this patient coping with you know when you tell them that they're going to have cancer and they act a certain way and it's like oh are they intellectualizing it are they rationalizing it are they splitting uh, it's all these different things and it's like well we do the same thing as medical professionals it's like we we intellectualize traumas I mean honestly they are traumas to some degree like you get you working on or with somebody and you have an emotional stake <laughs> well, at least I don't know I, I feel like a lot of times when I, I help out a patient regardless of who the patient is I have some kind of emotional stake in their well-being. Um, some greater than others, honestly. Um, I, I want all, all the best for my patients, but like some patients kind of stick with you a little bit more than others um, or you click with them better. I don't know. I'm not trying to sound like I'm heartless or anything, but I think this no. is a natural thing. that Some patients are going to stick on stick to you a little bit more than others. And uh, it's. I think it's hard to not have like when things go badly and they are directly in your care and you're just like, I did everything I could, but you know, things didn't go the way I wanted to. They ended up dying. Now, how am I going to deal with that? Am I just going to go about my day as if that never happened? Uh, am I just going to um, become a mess and not be able to function for the next day? Like, well, you know, there has to be a, something, a healthy way of dealing with it. Again, not an expert. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> uh <laughs> Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, Karen makes a good point. It's something that I think it's good, especially uh, as you are going to have more and more of these experiences. I'm not saying. And again, I'm not trying to suggest that as you get into medicine, you're just going to end up killing more and more of your patients or anything like that. (laughs) But uh, you're going to be faced with. You're going to be. My understanding of residency is that you're going to be given patients and responsibilities. You're going to be the doctor. You're going to be ordering stuff. And so you are going to be in charge of patients. You are going to be uh, in going to rapid calls and doing um, codes and stuff like that. And so you're going to be encountering, especially going into internal medicine. Internal medicine is primarily older, more geriatric. I'm not sure if that's the correct term anymore, but elderly um, people who are advanced in age, uh, <laughs> what other them can I use here? <laughs> <That's> uh, <laughs> it's not, I mean, we're not dealing with athletes. That's uh, generally not the population that internal medicine tends to deal with. You can get your occasional 29 year old male or 35 year old something or other, like whatever. Um, but by and large, our bread and butter internal medicine is the older populations, and the older populations have a whole bunch of stuff going on. They have heart disease, they have heart failure, uh, respiratory issues, they, kidney failures, like... So they're going to have a whole bunch of stuff and, you know, one of, one of these days they're all going to die. Like everyone, no one's getting off the plane planet alive. So... Uh, so as we progress in our careers, we're going to encounter more and more patients who are going to die. And probably in our residency is the most likely time we're going to see patients dying in the hospital. Because if you go like outpatient, like, you know, how often is a patient directly under your care going to die? That's not like already been transferred to the hospital and you're not actually actively managing them at that moment. I don't know. (laughs) It depends on the practice you have, I suppose. But um, I don't know. It's good to good to start trying to think through how you how you're gonna process those sort of things because you have to have the balance like like Karen said, like you have to go home and be a spouse, you have to be a family person and you can't just switch that off and on, and it's maybe not the most healthy healthiest method mechanism to suppress any feelings that you have, but you have to also still be a functional adult when you go home. And same as when you, you know, at work, you have to be a functional medical professional at work. So, I, yeah.
0: This obviously was not a conversation that Eric necessarily wanted to have tonight, but it, I thought it was a useful one. And we will we will probably loop back to it. Forced against
1: my will in this
0: conversation. <laughs> Again, we'll loop back to it as time progresses and... Eric has had more time to think things through, and because I want to be the most supportive spouse that I can be and help him through these instances, um, but at the same time, it's not—it's not, it's not going to be an everyday occurrence or the norm. Yeah. We hope, right?
1: Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I mean, but we we got four shifts down of ED with um, twelve more to go. Uh, we're going to start the, like I think we said, noon to 10 PM shift the the next four days. And then we shift over to, I think it's like five to 3 AM and then 7 PM to 5 AM or something like that.
0: Something ridiculous. But
1: so we, we got a lot more shifts to go. It's a bit of a struggle. I think sometimes it's, it's very frustrating because you'll go see a a whole bunch of patients, um, and your attendings in the ED are kind of hit and miss on how many of them um, want to help teach you and as a student, or versus have you just kind of observe, observe things and follow along, you know, quietly in the background. Uh, so that that's uh, a little and bit of
0: that's not to say anything negative about the doctors. It is a very busy.
1: It's busy AD. like ED. I think someone told me they see about 200 patients a day, and there's generally about two doctors on at any given time. So that's a lot of patients for two doctors to try to manage, especially with the level of acuity that we do seem to be finding. We are not a trauma center. The ED I'm going to is not a trauma center. It's not even like a level two trauma, but like we do get a whole lot of stuff. Like gunshot wounds will walk in the front door and we deal with those. Um, uh, there's some obvious things that the ambulances will not send to us. Uh, anyone who has an open head wound. Um, we don't have neurosurgery on board, anything that uh, they feel like is immediately needs to have uh, cardiac um, open heart surgery or anything like that, any cardiothoracic surgery, we those all get transferred away because we do not have cardiac thir- uh, surgery on board. We are, um, uh, I believe, a, we're not a, a stroke center as far as I'm aware, we can give TPA I believe. We can give TPA, sorry, but we don't have like neurosurgery, like I said, uh, and we can do heart catheterizations, So we are um, like a PCI or something like that uh, center. So we can do heart attacks and we can do TPA, but anything that a little bit more extreme than that, when we typically will have to send out. Um, And then, of course, ambulances will stop at our hospital to stabilize patients, um, and then we will transfer those out. <laughs> uh, it's it's a, but it is still very busy. And so, I'm not again. I'm not trying to be derogatory towards any of the doctors because I think they all work hard. Um, and maybe they didn't they didn't necessarily sign up to have students tag along, or they are just overwhelmed with the number of patients that they have to treat and manage. Uh, that they just don't have the bandwidth for a student. Uh, that's you know neither here nor there. I'm trying to. Get the most out of this rotation as I can. There's not maybe not too many more opportunities for me to be in the ED. It is an aspect of medicine that is it's tough, um, but it's good. It's good to have an appreciation for, and I'm trying to employ the suggestions I got about being proactive, going out and finding the patients, talking to them yourself. Don't just shadow a doctor. Don't don't just shadow a PA. Uh, go out and do some of like your own history taking physical exams and whatnot you can, obviously i can't do any like treatments or anything but um the general suggestion i've gotten is that you know you go out and see a bunch of patients you try to find the ones that have just been room before a doctor sees them you do your assessment you write it down and then you kind of watch that patient get treated and see like okay is your line of thinking your differential list similar to what the doctor's differential list was and then you can present it to the doctor and you can really find out at that point if like your differential list is as robust as you you thought it was <laughs> and oftentimes I find I'm not as uh, robust as I should be or could be um, I think just the other day I was um, we were talking about a patient uh, with I think it was like chest pain or something like that it was like oh, someone walks in the door with chest pain, what are the the critical things that you need to rule out for chest pain? And it's like massive pulmonary embolism. Not in a doctor who's like, it has to be massive. Can't be minor. A, pu- a minor pulmonary embolism, you send the patient home. A massive pulmonary embolism, like a saddle, a saddle emboli, that's a medical emergency. And then there's um tension pneumothorax because that's going to cause a mediastinal shift and then there's um cardiac tamponade there's of course the stemis um i am of course missing more A uh, bohive syndrome apparently which i thought was kind of funny the doctor was like oh you almost never see it then one of the pas chimed in that he saw it recently but then also uh, they're like yeah they'll present with chest pain but they'll also present with like um, like, spitting that blood, and it's just like, I wonder, like, are you gonna miss that? <laughs> like, is is the only signifying symptom gonna be like, oh, I have chest pain? And like, and you gonna ignore the fact that they're spitting that blood? They're just not gonna mention that to you. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, but um, I think there's a few a few other things out there like pericarditis and. Um, yeah, anywho there's a lot of uh, again like you're you get to find out whether your differential list is as robust as you think it is, um, and the doctors will tell you that
0: yeah, well, and i th- I think you are learning a lot, and as much as we maybe don't appreciate the hours of this rotation or um anything, Eric has said that the shifts go by very quickly. Which is probably a great thing because I think the match uh, anxiousness or paranoia or whatever is starting to set in. A little bit of paranoia, a little bit of anxiety. (laughs) So it's a good distraction. So 12 of the remaining uh, (laughs) 16 or 17 days until match are going to be filled up. And there's a good, good chance that you won't have time to overthink this
1: obsess <laughs>
0: yes so tonight is the uh, last night that we can switch up well, our list which, i guess
1: i will really be reading it. it's tomorrow at 9 p.m oh
0: tomorrow at 9 p.m
1: or the day this is published at 9 p.m <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so but i mean we have made our list we've certified it we have not changed it since we certified it well no we did change one thing
1: mm-hmm. um, but it's certified now
0: but it's certified again. And I'm sure Erica's going to go on and check and make sure that it's certified again before. I did. Yep. See uh, the paranoia, right? Um
1: <laughs> You know, you've done it. And just because the deadline's coming up and you're just like, I know I did it. I got the email saying I did it, but just in case go back, log back in and make sure it's certified. I, I don't know. That's just a obsessive thing. Like I know it's certified. It, that you can't not be certified at this moment, but you just do it anyway.
0: Yeah, but we had discussion today about should we move things around and why, and we finally came to the conclusion that no, no, and we're o- you, you're overthinking things. Just
1: yeah, because you, you hear like one little thing, like you hear someone say something, and you're like, shoot, should I change this? Should I, sh- should I change this program? Should it be number? F- it's number this. Should I move it up, move it down? You know, this new information. Does it change the, how I should rank this program? And we came to the conclusion. It's like, well, this program is still in this particular level of favorability. So, no. <laughs> this program, like, it...
0: Ultimately, I think that you should sh- make your, your list not on... You should make your list on where you want to go.
1: That that is the general advice that you get through this whole process.
0: Don't it, make it based off of a feeling you get or a
1: playing like fourteen dif- dimension chess, where you're 11. like, well, yeah, this program does this, and there's these people go here, and you know, there's. This many applicants who probably have better stats than me. And so my chances of making it into this program are this. And maybe I should go do this program. Because, like, you can go down this horrible rabbit hole. And I don't think it gives you any benefit whatsoever.
0: Nope. So we're playing the distraction game. Eric's doing a pretty good job of distracting himself. He's torn apart a a microphone now um, in addition to his other things.
1: I didn't like how... Well, I I had a broken microphone. I just... It was broken since I bought it. I was trying to see if I can fix it. I made it worse.
0: <laughs> um, so he's he's starting to fidget now. I just need to get him out of the room and uh, fidgeting on productive things that we need to get done.
1: <laughs> you have made a list.
0: I have made a list. We are starting. I I'm starting to make lists for a potential move. And but I mean that's all I can do at the moment. Until we know where we're going, and then I can further make lists and then start moving on yeah. those lists.
1: Yeah, so, so. I guess we we we'll wrap it up there. Um, a little quick shout out to Joseph Levi. We made a I think a reference last week to Storks, uh, <laughs> which is an oftenly quoted. Movie in our household, uh, at least by me and Karen,
0: it's a severely underrated kids movie. It's a
1: fantastic kids movie, but yes, hardly any. You ask your cohort of other medical students about you know you, you drop a quote and you're like, "Where's that from?" and they're like, "I haven't listened, I haven't watched a a kids movie since like Finding Nemo," and then you remember like, "Oh, that's right." You're all like, "In your 20s somethings," so you probably stopped watching kids movie at some point you don't have kids and so you haven't gone back and looked at anything so storks being a relatively recent movie no one's seen it uh, so um anyway we'll shout out to the west shout out to joseph <laughs> levi um for getting that one right, but he did admit that he had to Google it. Yeah, he so. has not actually watched the movie, so
0: we're deducting points. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, if you want to leave us a comment or say uh, ask us a question, medfamilymd on Instagram is the way to do that. Um, subscribe to the podcast on any of the major pod and listen to our podcast on any of the major podcasting streaming sites, uh, Apple, Spotify, etc., uh if you have yeah i think that's about all we got for the week and we will try to try to update next week
0: have a good night guys
1: bye